Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am here as always with Cassidy Gamet. Cassidy, hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I uh, am good. It was a sunny day, and I happened to go for a walk during both the sunrise and the sunset, both of which were the exact color of your hair right now. <laughs> I'm loving it. I am I'm sad. Gorgeous I pink. I missed sunset, but I was there for sunrise, so at least I got got a part of that. And I saw I, your hair, and I was like, that looks familiar. <laughs> My fading pink hair. Um... Well, let's get things started off with an icebreaker today. But I was wondering, who is an NBA player that you feel like every other NBA player is always kind of cheering for and they want them to succeed? Kind of like an uplifting Twitter situation. God, yeah. I mean, I love how the players interact with each other. I love watching them. I mean, sadly, and we'll get into this more later, it's often over injuries. <sighs> heavy sigh, uh, you know, and wishing each other all the best over injuries. Uh, but also when they get into like conversations, sometimes they get into beef, but sometimes they like really uplift each other. Um, like a player that the other players all want to succeed. I mean, I kind of think about like a couple years ago, it was Carmelo Anthony. That would be who my, my pick would be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like he has landed in a pretty good place right now. Uh, who do you who do you think? It's funny because my husband and I were talking about this over the weekend, and Carmelo was the person. And I went through a lot of players, and Carmelo was the one where I was finally like, because whenever we ask each other these questions, we kind of go through all the non Blazers first because we always tend to go to the Blazers first. So it's like, we're trying to like get through all the answers. And then I get to Carmelo and I'm like, oh, but that might actually be the answer. Yeah. Like that might, that might be right. But I was kind of thinking like right now, I wonder, I haven't seen much of the players reacting to what's going on with Kyrie. Because sometimes when guys, and I don't even know if Kyrie, because I know he talked today and I haven't listened to what he said today, and I have no idea whether or not he brought up anything about like mental health, but I know when other players have brought that up, other players have come out and been really supportive, Um, like, you know, Kevin Love and such. I don't think, he hasn't, he has not um, brought up much mental health, I guess, but he's also said very clearly that you know, this seems to be something he wants to go through on his own with his family, mm-hmm. with whatever is going on and the people who are around him. And he kind of talked about how he has to accept support, ask for help sometimes, you know, reach out and have those conversations. And the one thing that I really gathered from that interview was there's something going on and he is going through something and people need to understand that even when you're rich and you're, you know, famous and you play basketball for a living and get to do fun photo shoots and, you know, have all the glamour in life, things can still hit you. And the things that are most important in life don't come with those things. They're your family and the friends and the people that are close to you. And so if there's something going on, there's something going on. And 
I believe in the state of Oregon, our mental health days are part of our sick days. We can take that as a mental health day. And you know what? I don't have a problem with an NBA player doing that. Mm-hmm. Mental health is important. It is so important. And I think it's even more important when people like NBA players are talking about it because men are so frequently told that it's not okay to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so let people talk about the things that are going on in their life and let them do that in a way that they want to do that. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of things that people can say about Kyrie, but he does a lot of really, really, really good things for the community, for other people. And I think there were times in the interview today and I hope people watch it that it was clear that he is struggling with also the idea of how he plays basketball and is committed to that, but also how he still supports things that he thinks is important. Mm -hmm. And he talked about reaching out to mentors to possibly help him achieve that. And I think that's a great message. I mean, reach out to your community, get help from your community Kind of the way we ask people questions on Twitter and hope for fun takes and answers and conversations. We got to remember we all have takes. We all have things going on in our life. And, uh, you know, it's so important to take a mental health day. Yeah. Well, and then also, you know, follow on that you're not alone. He's not alone. And, you know, kind of back to the original question, these guys – aren't alone. And for so many years, I think, you know, the NBA was a different league for a long time where, you know, remember back when, well, we don't remember, but there was a day where like they would go to their, you know, jobs at the, you know, working at the factory and then they'd come Mm -hmm. and they'd play on the game or whatever. They'd be employed by somebody so they could play, you know, that things have, have changed a lot. And now we're at this place where they're in the spotlight, in the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And, Granted, you don't want to become an NBA player and not expect that with along with being an NBA player, you're going to be in the spotlight. But that doesn't mean that you're any less deserving of privacy, of space, of, you know, doing the things you need to do to take care of yourself. Absolutely. uh, I I can't wait till he uh, he works through it. Also, though, now that now now James Harden has been added to the Nets and I was like really excited about the Nets at the beginning of the season because I was excited for. Kevin Durant and Kyrie and just to see what would happen because it was such a fascinating mixture, Mm -hmm. right? It's just like two really interesting elements that you combine and like what is going to happen. And uh, so I thought that was really interesting. But now that they've they've added James Harden and I I don't dislike James Harden per se. I just like – it. It just got so easy in Brooklyn, and I, I don't ever like to cheer it's, for, for people who are going to have it be so easy. It's I, a lot of star power on one team, but at least it's in the East Coast. That I am so thankful for. I am so thankful for that, and I was so excited for like a day and a half that CJ McCollum was going to have a really great shot at – becoming an all-star and now i'm looking at your face which is very sad so let's go ahead and move on i think we're going to bring back for this hard week uh a segment of our rip city rose and thorn for the rose city that we are um 
So do you have any roses or thorns for the week, I Tara? Definitely do. And let's just say that I'm going to guess that you probably have very similar thorns to mine, which are just all injury related. I'm just, I don't, I don't even know. We don't even need to talk about it because it's just, blah. I hate injuries. I hate the fact that two of the, of the three best players on the team are injured and how great CJ was playing and for him to be, yeah. you know, it's, we know that he, so he has a, a, a hairline fracture in his foot. He's out for a month in a boot is what we know at mm-hmm. this point. Um, He's also broken that foot twice in college. And so I feel like silver lining, he knows the rehab well. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of injury, mm, um, okay. which was the other kind, you know, I think had a, a more intensive uh, rehab. Um, but I, like his interview that he did with, um, well, he, he did an interview and then he, Casey Holdall also wrote an article and it was like, okay, here's a rose. It was so full of wisdom that I wish I'd had when I was 29 about life. I was just like, dude, you're so like, like so mature and so like philosophical about like, you know, Mm -hmm. he was like, you could blame somebody, but you know. What are you going to do? I can't remember how he said it, but it was just so like, ex- like, okay, this is where I am. This is what I have to do. Yeah. I love that attitude from him. Like, and I guess in so many ways, what other attitude are you going to have? Like, but yeah, I would definitely say that is definitely a rose. Um, I have a thorn that's rose. not, uh, <laughs> injury related necessarily. But, um, Derek Jones Jr. keeps getting hit in the face. (laughs) Like, a lot. And he's not injured, but, like, I need people to stop hitting him in the face. Because it's just unnecessary. He seems so nice and so kind. His smile after a lob is just the most beautiful thing in the world. Stop hitting him in the face. Okay. Is it a thorn or... Is it going to be like Nurkic every time he used to get hit in the head, he would come out and just come roaring back. And like that was often what it took to get him to like, you know, really have a great game. So like we, I think it's a small sample size at this point. Like I don't wish any pain on Derek Jones Jr. So like one hit to the face a game. But, but you know what? If that's what unlocks like his full star potential. Okay. Maybe we could just turn it into, but I, I wow. agree. Rose, Rose and Thorn is turning into terror. We'll make anything a rose. <laughs> it's like one of those weeks, right? <laughs> um, but I definitely have more Derek Jones Jr.'s take. So I think, uh, okay. I have some, uh, Derek Jones Jr. Rose. First of all, everything I'm, I'm just loving him. Like yes. I, I was excited when the Blazers signed him. I was excited when I learned about him and I heard about him from people in Miami, how much they liked him. But just actually getting to know him as a player and what we've gotten to know him about a person, he's just adorable. Um, he's the sweetest. He's so, yeah, like the interview with Brooke where she interviewed him about what he was going to take on the desert island is the cutest thing ever. Um, so for, if anybody missed that, 
Brooke was doing the like, you know, get to know you things. And so she was asking him. And first of all, he's like super shy. He's like, so you can barely hear him, but he has a gorgeous, deep voice. <laughs> but he's like, it's so quiet because he's so shy. But anyway, she asked him what three things he would take to a desert island. And he said, can I take people? And she was like, well, sure. And of course it's Brooke. So she's being like super ultra nice to him. She's like, of course, sure. You can take, you can take people. And he's like, well, can I take four? And she's like, sure, you can take four. And so he goes, well, I take my girlfriend and I take my oldest son. And then I take my second oldest son. And then I take my baby. <laughs> And that's the four I would take. And he was like counting them off on his fingers. Like he was keeping, it was just, okay. That, so obviously we know that he's like just a super nice, wonderfully like family oriented and just seems like a really great guy. Um, but his play is fun and uh, the funnest, right? With Os Nurk and now CJ out, I'm, you know, having to like recalibrate what's a fun game what am i watching for in the game so you know for sure i am watching for a Derek jones jr dunk um so i i'm looking at what his dunking rate is his dunking rate is not what it was um in miami but that doesn't mean i don't think we can get there he has um has got the book out i people. know i wrote it down but i wrote it down on a different on a different thing um he has 19 dunks in 14 games. Last year he had 84 dunks total in 59 games. So um, that's a slightly lower percentage. Yeah. But here's where the thorns are going to start to come in. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh, the thorns. Ooh, the thorns. Um, yeah, I I want to hear this. Just keep going. Go. Okay. So he is right now shooting a career-high percentage of shots not like shooting percentage but percentage of shots from three so he is shooting 42 percent of his shots from three no who is drawing up plans where 42 percent of Derek jones jr's shots are coming from three i keep looking up looking for him to cut to the basket and he's camped out there on the three-point line because all these other people are under the basket and it is driving me nutty like everybody clear out, give him his airplane yeah. mode. He needs a tarmac that he can shoot down so that he can get those dunks. Like, I don't yeah. know. And I get him shooting a few threes, maybe early in the game, just to spread the floor a little more, but maybe we need Cantor to shoot some threes and make them so that the floor. I, okay. Or I'm not actually suggesting this, but I just think that maybe there needs to be more room in the paint. Yeah, and I, I, I'm i kind of wondering if maybe, like, some of the different lineups he has more. And I was trying to figure out, like, this, like, the, the last game I was like, oh, my gosh, he can't. There's no there's no room for him to get there. And I was wondering if maybe, like, when he's playing with Nurkic, Nurkic is farther away from the basket because he's, like, way up there on the high pick and rolls. And yeah. maybe there's a little bit more room. So I don't know. And I just – so I'm just kind of mulling over whether or not, like, he's in the best line up for him to be his best self because yeah. when they put those young running guys in you know uh in those transition like he's he's made for transition <laughs> he he's so good at it he loves to do it so but i also the other thing i appreciate about him is that even when he misses dunks they're spectacular <laughs> and he just yeah. keeps going um and also and my, the way he falls and then he's just like 
I'm here now. Okay. Like, yeah. he just get, he doesn't wait for anyone. Like, you know how there are players who, like, fall and they're like, oh, someone get me up. Derek Jones Jr. will just get himself up. Yeah. Like, and I kind of just love it because he's like, okay, I'll just, you know, I'm good. Like, I'm He just here. wants to get back in. Yeah. He just wants to play. Yeah. Ugh. And he loves to guard. I love that. But also for a, um, for a defensive player, you know, who really loves to guard, he doesn't get himself, he hasn't yet really gotten himself into foul trouble much either. So that's another rose that I will give to him. Wow. Roses. Well, and then I have one last rose as well. And that is we got the opportunity to talk to the one and only amazing and incredible and shots. What a dream come true for young me. So we are going to play an interview that is very, very special to us. We are very excited about it. Um, our new friend of the pod and shots joined us and we talked a lot about a lot of things. But yeah, we were just thrilled to talk to her. If you're uh, new to Portland or like just a recent Blazer fan, Ann Schatz has been around for many years covering um, – she started with KOIN Channel 6. She was there mm-hmm. for uh, a while. Then she moved over and worked with the Blazers in the fire. Uh, she's currently – she does stuff with the Pac-12 network and also uh, like uh, – does a bunch of work with the Thorns. So if you're a Thorns yeah. fan, you, I'm sure, know who Ann Schatz is. As well as uh, motivational speaking, which, I let me tell you, you are going to feel more motivated about your life after this because I got so much done after talking with her. <laughs> I was like, ah! And I just did so many things. So get ready to be productive! And today I can barely contain my excitement because we are joined by a trailblazing pioneer in the world of sports with an unbridled passion of always getting the story. She has interviewed everyone from Michael Jordan to Mia Hamm. She is the voice of Portland sports and one of my heroes. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Ann Shots. Oh my gosh, I never thought I'd get to say those words. Cassidy, thank you, and thanks to both of you guys for having me. I've been looking forward to catching up with you guys, so thank you. Oh, well, we are beyond <laughs> excited. Um, I I don't know if my husband can handle me talking about how excited I am anymore, so I'm glad this is happening today. Um, but we usually kind of get things started off by kind of asking, how did you get into sports? Well, you know, I... I uh had the good fortune of, of growing up in in a in the Midwest. I, I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Had there were six of us, uh, five siblings, myself, and three of my brothers, uh, or three brothers were older than me. And so I learned how to play sports from my brothers and my dad. I was very lucky. They let me tag along. They taught me how to throw off the right foot, uh, the correct foot. I'm right-handed, so throwing off your left foot. They threw me how to, uh, taught me how to bat. They taught me how to shoot. They taught me how to do everything sports-wise. And then before I knew it, they were including me in some of their games. And it was all neighborhood stuff back then. Um, so that's how I got interested in sports. And if, as memory serves, every 
birthday, every Christmas, I would get some kind of sport book, whether it was about an athlete or about a certain sport. And it just, and I would watch games with my dad. I would listen to baseball games with my dad. We would reach, read the sports page every day together. It, it, it just, it just blossomed. I was a pretty good athlete, played in high school, played in college. Um, but I never thought I was going to get into sports broadcasting. Uh, back then, way, way back then, uh, in the seventies, there were very few female sports broadcasters. There were a few on the national level, but none on the local level. So Phyllis George was probably the highest. You guys might have to go back and, and Google Phyllis George was a former Miss America winner from Kentucky and CBS put her in the broadcast booth, uh, for some, yeah, well, some obvious reasons, gorgeous woman, um, very likable, uh, I'm not sure how well she knew her sports. I think she got better and better, but there weren't any role models for me back when I was in high school and college in terms of, I want to be like her. She's a sports broadcaster. I can do that. I want to do that. I wonder how she did that. Gee, I think I might do that too. There was none of that, none of that. So I kind of lucked my way into it. I kind of backed my way into it. Um, out of college, I got a job with a, with the, affiliate in Omaha. I had no experience. They had no job opening and yet they hired me part-time. They created something for me. And long story short, I think it was an experiment and it was something that if I was, if I could develop and, and be okay at this, being the very first and only female sports broadcaster in Omaha, in Nebraska, in the region, if I could be halfway decent, it would make that affiliate look really good, really progressive, really hip, really cutting edge. And if I wasn't very good, I was a part-timer on the weekend. They could get rid of me so fast, no harm, no foul. No one would have been the wiser. If I was good, everybody looks good. If I, if I stunk up the joint, no one would have known. No one would have cared. Uh, and I had some great people take me under their wing. And I caught on pretty quickly and I was pretty good. So it was a win-win for everybody. But again, I got a job with a television station that did not have an opening. They created one for me and off I went. So you, you said that you really realized that like you wanted to be good because then it would be good for both you and for the station. Yep. Like what did you tell you? What did you think to yourself about what you needed to do at that? point without having had role models. You had to create, figure it out yourself. Yeah, I did. And I asked a ton of questions and there were no women, like I said, in, in my shop, in the sports department or in any of the sports departments. So what, what happened for me was I asked the right questions to the right men who wanted to help me and who weren't thinking, oh, for God's sake, who is this? And what is this clown show? These were men that took me under their wing and guided me and supported me and helped me. And as long as I kept asking questions, they were willing to help me. I knew nothing. It was obvious. And they were there to make sure that I picked up some really good habits and some um, kind of learned experiences along the way. And like I said, I was pretty good. Now, 
there was a ton of pressure, you know, you guys can talk to each other and say, gosh, Cassidy, what would you do? Blah, blah, blah. If this happened, or I'm kind of feeling like this. Do you ever feel like that? You know, this is when women were just starting to get into the locker room. I have nobody I can bounce things off of, no female colleagues that I can bounce things off of. I'd look around games, locker rooms, practices, and I would always be the only female from team manager to participants if I wasn't covering a a women's team. I mean, I was the only woman all the time. So you had to be really good. You had to be really accurate. You had to really be on your toes. You couldn't make the same mistakes the guys made because you were held to different standards. Folks wanted to see you fail. Folks wanted to see you screw up. If I got a name wrong or I got a score wrong, I got my head handed to me. And the beauty of that was it made me better, faster, because I had to pay attention. And I thought to myself, you better be good because if there's some young lady coming up behind you that wants to do this and you're her role model, you better be flipping good and you better be good all the time. You didn't have a role model. You could be one if you're good enough. So don't screw this up. That's what I kept telling myself. Well, oh my goodness. I I don't even know how to ask more questions. I'm just so excited to be here. <laughs> I, I am so inspired. Um, so in 1989, you moved to Portland from Omaha. Yep. Um, and you became Portland's first women's sports broadcaster. Yep. I've heard you mention in the past kind of some of those struggles and that the welcome wasn't necessarily the warmest of welcomes. And I'm wondering if there was a moment or an event that made you realize that you were finally being accepted by the audience. I was, I'll never forget this. In fact, I I get the chills thinking about it. I, I remember walking, um, down one of the main drags, second Avenue from coin TV. And I must've been heading to get something to eat or something, or maybe I was walking back to my apartment. And when people would yell stuff at me from across the street or their cars or whatever, it was always negative. Um, and this particular day, I remember this very well. Somebody yelled at me from across the street and, and said, Hey, are you Ann Shots? And I thought, Oh, here we go. Here we go. I can set my watch by it. Here we go. And I just looked at him and I said, Uh huh. He said, We really like you. You go, girl. And it's the first time I had heard anything like that. Some stranger, he kept going, I kept going, but I'll never forget that. Because up until that time, you know, the folks, you know how it is. If, if folks like you, they're not as, as apt to tell you. If they don't like you, they can't wait. They cannot wait to tell you in whatever form. That's just human nature. And I, hey, I signed up for the job. I signed up for this. There's no poor little me. You, you knew 90% of this was coming. I probably wasn't ready for some of it, but I knew, I knew some of it was coming. But that moment when that guy said, we really like you, you go girl, that, 
I just, I remember chin to chest in the best way. I thought I was going to start crying. Um, it, but you know, you, you, we all go through stuff like that and you don't, you don't assume that everybody's going to like you. And I'd get a score wrong or I'd get a name wrong and it would give them, you know, fuel. It would just add fuel to the fire. And, uh, uh, but, but it, it, it smoothed out after a while. It took a while, but that guy, that guy probably made my year much, much less made my day. Yeah. Wish, wish I could have told him. Thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. If he's listening, <laughs> <laughs> identify yes, himself <laughs> so we can say yes, thank please. you. <laughs> and I, I feel like that, that time frame and that hardship that you went through kind of set some tones for other people. Cause we see like Brooke Olsen dam now and Brooke has been embraced by the city and embraced by a fan base. And it's interesting to kind of see that happen so quickly. And I, and I definitely attribute that to knowing that I feel like us as a fan base grew up loving you. And mm. so it, it, it makes sense that we love our sideline reporters and our reporters in sports in this town and especially our women that are doing it. This is, and, this, this is a great sports town and this town is, you know, Portland is now my home and in no way, shape or form do I take the initial, some of the initial backlash as, as, uh, you know, broad brushing the city of Portland. I can't, I can't even tell you how kind and gracious and warm, uh, this, this city has been, this state has been for me personally, professionally. I, I can't, I can't leave this state because of what it has done for me and it has allowed me to grow. It's allowed me to experience new adventures. It's allowed me to truly be myself. It's encouraged me to truly be myself and the initial stuff, big deal, whatever. That was a million years ago. That was a million lifetimes ago. And again, if you're going to take a job and know you're the first and you're the first and the only, you better be ready for some grief. You just, you, you signed up. I signed up for this. So come on now. And the trick is to, not have too tough a skin. You still got to feel stuff still hurts stuff to, you know, people who, who, who still write nasty things and, and they do all the time. It still hurts my feelings on occasion. So you, you understand it, you brush it off and you keep, you keep saying to yourself, yeah, but the, the whole totality of this state and of this region, there's nothing better. Oh my God. There's nothing better. Hmm. I mean, we agree. We we couldn't leave, so yeah. I mean, <laughs> we couldn't bring ourselves to leave it. No um, way. It, it it's too good. It's too good. It's progressive. It's kind. It's human. It's warm. It's welcoming. I know I'm repeating myself, but I don't get to say thank you enough to the folks who make sure that if you do your work, if you if if you do your work and you have integrity and you're a profes- professional, you're going to be rewarded for that. They, they will, viewers, um, they'll reward you for it. Uh, so when you came to Portland, you were, you're with Coin, right? Yep. And then when did you start working for the Blazers as their sideline reporter 
feature writer, Mm -hmm. producer? Uh, 1999. I think my first year was the strike year. And um, it it was great. I left COIN in 89. I did some freelance work, a lot of freelance work for Nike. And then um, the Blazers were looking for a sideline reporter. Before you knew it, the fire was getting the nod to join the uh, WNBA. So that all kind of happened quickly. And boy, was that a blast. Whoa, was that fun. And I don't, you know, that was a tough time for the Blazers. There's no doubt about it, but I still loved it. Oh my goodness. Loved it. How much of your job at that time when you took it on was already established and how much of it did you just kind of make up as you went along or, you know, institute because you thought, oh, this, I should start doing this now. As far as uh, the sideline gig with the Trailblazers? Yeah, just and the work that you were doing with both organizations. Yeah, you know, when when I left COIN, I thought local sports was starting to get squeezed out of the half hour or hour time frame of of the total newscast. Um, whatever the consultants were saying at that time, and it just changes with the wind. But but the the local sports storytelling that all the affiliates hung their hat on was really starting to get squeezed and and uh, not appreciated. So I thought I I can't I can't do this anymore. So I was winging it, and that's when I got some really fun gigs with Nike as a freelance field producer. And then when when the Blazers decided they were going to open up with more of their games being broadcasted live, whatever forum that might take, um, whether it was Paul Allen's um, ASCN or NBC or stuff out of Seattle, they needed a sideline reporter. And so I just kind of thought, I'm going to apply. And I got, you know, by that time, I was well established in in the city as far as a sports broadcaster. So I had that going for me and I definitely had the, the experience doing some college games as a, as a color analyst with uh, Fox sports Northwest and that kind of thing. Um, I don't even remember what, what some of the cable outlets were called way back then. Uh, Prime sports Northwest, something like that. Anywho. So it just fell into place. It was a very organic natural progression into these roles for the Blazers and the fire made perfect sense. And I was in the right place at the right time. Do you have a favorite moment on the Blazers sideline? (laughs) I remember, uh, I remember, let's see. When, when Grant, do you guys remember Grant's dreadlocks? Yeah. Okay. And I remember when my hair was a little longer at the time and he came, I was sitting right behind their bench and, uh, he he had just had a, some tussle with Malone or something, Carl Malone under the basket. And he came out for a, a quick breather and his hair was all over the place. And he looked over at me and said, do you have a hair tie? And for some reason that just cracked me up. And that was one of my favorite moments was him asking me if I had a hair tie, which I did not. And that was as silly as that sounds. Uh, and then one time, then one time, um, Adelman was still coaching. And no, 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 it was Dunleavy. It was Dunleavy. He was, he was coaching the Blazers. And he got teed up and got tossed. 
and he was in the locker room listening to the game and watching the game. And uh, I questioned when they came to me on, on some sideline hit, I questioned uh, a, a couple of possessions in terms of, Hey, that's not what the coaches drew up. I don't know. I don't know why so-and-so had such a quick shot in the shot clock and Dunleavy was cranky. He was so mad. He was so mad that I was kind of letting secrets out. And, uh, you know, you, you listen to the huddle and then you, you dog my players. So he was listening in the locker room and he, the next day, Oh baby, I had to answer to him. I'll tell you that. Oh, that's that was awesome. Good. I like that. <laughs> what was like your uh like game day like routine or like what was your what was your typical like sort of order of things that you did when you were covering back then cuz we might have some listeners who maybe have not been watching for very long and like we know like what Brooke does cuz she's been doing it for these last few years. But like what was your day like when you right. were the sideline reporter? Probably really similar to Brooke. Um, you know, we weren't tweeting and there wasn't the social media aspect at all back then. So what you would do is you would go to both teams shoot arounds. Those were always open. So you'd go to and the shoot arounds would either happen at the arena or at the Blazers might be at their practice facility. And you'd make sure you got both teams and bring the sound back pick out the sound bites, let the editor know what sound bites you wanted. You'd hustle back home. You'd get showered and, and, and changed into something a little more spiffy and uh, back to the arena, maybe two, two and a half hours before tip, just to make sure that you and the production team and your, your fellow broadcasters were on the same page as to what was coming, what my duties were, what the pregame hits were going to be from my end, the questions that were going to tee me up for those pregame hits that would roll into the interviews that I had already shot, um, blah, blah, blah. Then what the halftime duties were, postgame duties were. It, 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 and that stayed pretty, I'm not going to call it cookie cutter because obviously every team, every game, every feeling changed. You know, are you on a 10 game win streak, six game losing streak? Who's in town? Is it, is it Michael? Is it, you know, whatever. But that would kind of be my rally on game day. And then when the team was on the road, I would host pre, half, and post-game shows from the Blazer Studios. So I was working with the team on the court, home games, in the studio, road games. It's similar to how they're doing it right now. It's okay. It's funny, just because of the way things are. Um, did you have any special like feature pieces or storytelling pe- telling pieces during that time frame that really stand out to you? Oh man, boy, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. There were some really special, you know, this is, this is when even, even though the team was struggling, you know, there were some really special guys and special moments, uh, for, for the, for the chunk of time that I was with the, with the club, I want to say I was with them for five years. So I'd have to, I'd have to go back and, and, uh, gee whiz, that, that's a good one. That's a good question. I'd have to go back and, and, and think about that. Nothing jumps out because I did so many, so many. The first year though, what I would do is I would think of the story ideas. I would do the interviews. I would write the piece and then Bill Shonley would voice the stories. 
So William and I would be working together. I would do, I'd do the heavy lifting and then William would bring it home with his golden pipes and that flair and that personality. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I love that you call him William. That's yep. amazing. <laughs> I love William. Yep. I, he is, uh, he's one of my favorite. Oh, God. I mean, join the, throw another log on that. He's one of my favorite fire. I mean, the most beloved sports figure in this state's history, as far as I'm concerned. Is who he, was he like your co-host of the studio when they were on the road? Uh-uh. I, I did it all by myself. I, I, uh, I think he was just at this point doing home games, ambassadorship stuff, and then voicing these, these features that I wrote for him. And it was, it was interesting because I talk so fast. And so my producer, Pat Lowry, bless her heart, she would say, okay, and you get two minutes for this feature, two minutes. And I'm rocking and rolling. And then William would come into the audio booth. And oh my God, it was like three and a half minutes because, you know, he takes so long to, because there's only one way to deliver the goods and that's William. And so I learned quickly that my two minutes was rapid fire. Whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and Bill would be, he would take his sweet time. So I learned how to write for him. It was fun. That. I can just imagine how much fun the two of you would have had, and especially having to cut down things. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, but, you know, so gracious, so kind, mm-hmm. so lovable, so wonderful, so warm. We, we, I loved just being around him. You know, I'd kind of, I'd kind of walk away thinking, gee whiz, you kidding me? Yeah, all day long. I loved being around him. He's, he is an, a legend legend for sure um so when was the first time you heard that portland was going to get a wnba team i remember you know and again you know that i didn't have a computer at home um i i i think somebody called me somebody called me from new york and said, one of my buddies who lived in New York and said, have you heard? That's right. It's all coming back to me. And uh, I said, heard what? You know, hello. And they, you're getting a team. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, we have finally made it in terms of, you know, WNBA. This is a league that is not going anywhere. This is a league. This is not the ABL. God bless it. It's soul. This is, this league is not going anywhere. If Portland's getting a franchise, I got to figure out a way to get involved. So I think I just started making phone calls and hoping that I would be considered as the analyst for, for their TV and radio. And it was great because, uh, Mike Barrett was the voice of the fire. You know, during that time, one of my closest friends and colleagues, and so working with him and then working with that team for three years, one of the highlights of my entire broadcast career, that's for sure. Yeah, it was, I remember, because I grew up, my parents, Blazer fans, all through and through, right? mostly my dad. And then I remember my mom finding out the news. Ah. And my mom looked at my dad and said, we're getting season tickets. <laughs> and yeah. you're not going. Yeah. And... <laughs> And so me and my mom went to just about every single fire game. I remember being on the court to receive a ball. It was 
I mean, just a blast. And to see you especially going from the Blazers to the WNBA, I mean, because Portland never had a WNBA team. So I watched the Comets, but in a lot of ways, I was very disconnected from the WNBA. Mm -hmm. And then to see you, someone who I watched religiously watching the Blazers, and then to see you in the WNBA and that, that validated it all in my mind. It was like, okay, so the cool person who gets to hang out and talk to the Blazers is also the cool person that's hanging out and talking to these women athletes. And that means they're super awesome and famous. And like, I couldn't process it. So in my mind, it just became, whoa, this is just another team that I get to love so much. And it, it gave me... I think a big passion for women's sports from that point on, even forward, because I was a huge women's soccer fan, Mm -hmm. but didn't necessarily have too much around me. So getting that was just a spark for me. You know, me too. And I thought it made us an instant player in in women's professional sports to get Mm -hmm. that franchise. Uh, It it was um, groundbreaking. It was memorable. It should should have lasted. The franchise in Portland should have lasted a lot, lot longer. I mean, think about this now. When when Portland got the franchise, if, if I'm not not mistaken, they were one of three expansion franchises in the WNBA that year. It was Portland, Miami, and Seattle. Look what Seattle has done by hanging through really hard initial years. Look at all the championships. Look what they've done with attendance. Look what they've done with some of the most iconic players to ever play the game in Seattle. And that could have been, to me, that could have been the fire. Despite the rough start, Seattle started just as roughly. Miami folded, Portland folded, and you look and see where Seattle is right now and where they've been for the last 15 years. 15 years. And for a generation, the basketball team of Seattle is a WNBA team. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I lived there for three years, and when there was no Sonics anymore, yep. that was the team. Those are the games you're going to. And so I think if other cities could understand how fully WNBA teams are embraced by their communities. I feel like we would have a lot more teams and we would have the fire back because we deserve them. Um, I I miss that club a lot. I know the fans do. Um, Like I said, that, that uh, that's top three experiences for me just to be around a professional club of such wonderful people and the fans that, that just that feel. And, and, And that's how the thorns are. Um, but obviously immediately successful and the thorns are, 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 are different just because, you know, that, that, um, the folks who own and operate the thorns, you know, Merrick Paulson and everybody on his team, they're not going to let that club go anywhere. Well, that is good to hear. Yes. Um, because we love them and we love having them in Portland. Um, so I was thinking about it, and I skipped over a few Blazer things that I wanted to ask you. I've had it. Do you remember your first game on the floor for the Blazers? Working for them? Yeah. Mm-mm. 
I don't. Because I do. <laughs> oh, oh, tell me. So let's see if my memory. So 10-year-old me, I don't remember who we were playing. I don't you. remember. Okay. I was 9 or 10. Oh, God. I know. Um, And I remember you coming on the screen and me freaking out because I was like, wait, I, I could – I could work for the Blazers. See, there it is. And I kept telling my mom and I kept telling my dad. And I was like, and like a lot of the time in my house, my dad would try to switch over during like halftime or something to check on another game. And I would freak out. (laughs) I was like, you are not changing the channel. You can go in the other room. And my mom would be like, yeah, we're get out of here. Um, because I think she understood the impact. And so I think it's really fun to to see that impact and then be getting a chance to talking to you now in this sense is beyond exciting for me. Well, but, but Cassidy, you, you hit it. This is what I'm talking about. So, you know, and, and little kids watching Brooke right now or little kids, if, if they turn the Pac-12 network on and I'm calling a game or, or whatever – or the thorns, you know, doing post game, whatever. It's young women like you, little, little girls, Cassidy at age eight, nine, 10 can look and go, I want to do that. And there's no reason why I can't do that. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to start dreaming big now. I'm going to start planning big now. I'm going to start, I'm going to start saying to mom, what's a good journalism school? What, what do you do to be in this? How, how do I do this? Whatever. But, that's that's what it's all about is somebody your age at that time saying oh, I want to do that and and the great news is you can now you can do whatever the heck you want yeah that's the wonderful part heck really. yeah <laughs> I mean the freedom we did a Hallmark episode last week <laughs> <laughs> um so you've also worked with the Pac-12 quite a bit covering all sorts of sports over there what has that experience been like? That has been – so the Pac-12 Network and the Portland Fire are, are neck and neck with – or excuse me, Thorns. Pac-12 and Thorns with the fire right underneath there. But the Pac-12 Network, um, ah, gosh, I've been with them since they started. I think this is the eighth or ninth year of the Pac-12 Network. And it fills my sails working with college kids – getting to be the play-by-play voice of whatever game I'm doing. I I have never had, and I've been doing, I've been in the sports broadcasting world now. I just went over my 40-year anniversary. Think of that. 40 flipping years. I'm an old dog, and I don't mind saying it, because working with the Pac-12 network with these youngsters and just seeing so much life and vitality and hope and positivity and the teamwork and the way they pick each other up. I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of what is good in life. And this, those kids, I get to witness these kids teach me life lessons every day. If I'm smart enough to pay attention to these youngsters, I learn so much. I've never had more fun. I hope I can keep doing this until I'm in, just older than dirt 
because it's just so much fun. I love it. Love it. Love it. You said that you uh, do play-by-play for multiple sports with Pac-12. Yeah. Is that right? Which sports do you do? I do – I'll go by seasons. I do men's and women's soccer in the fall, men's and women's basketball in the winter, primarily women's, and then softball in the spring. So I basically go, you know, mid-August to mid-May. It's great. Did you – uh like picking up the skill of uh, calling games, what was that like for you? Really interesting. It's a great question. Really interesting. I, I remember I went from being a color analyst um, and, and the executive producer at uh, – I, I worked for a really cool, smaller sports cable outlet uh, based in New York called College Sports TV. And CSTV was the very first on the scene – to, to understand the importance and money-making possibilities of broadcasting college athletics besides just football and men's basketball. So I worked, I was based in Portland, worked for these guys out of New York and they just sent me all over the place. And I did that for a couple of years and it was loads of fun. And the executive producer said, you know, I think it'd be smart for you to look into doing play-by-play. We're starting to tap in just like the guys, more and more ex-coaches and ex-players as the color analysts. And I think if you want to keep doing this, I think you'd be smart to look into play-by-play. And it was just, it was a foreign language. I mean, uncharted territory. It was really, a it's a different beast. And I remember the first game I did, the woman who was the analyst with me kind of looked at me after the game and if her face was grading me, she would have given me a solid D as in awful. I mean, she was just, I could, I could see just the look on her face kind of, Oh boy, you're bad. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I was, it was, it was in Milwaukee. We had just called a game at Marquette and the crew went out for dinner afterwards. Remember I'd seen that look on her face. So we were, I, I can't get that out of my head. And I remember walking from the restaurant about a mile back in a blizzard w- without proper, you know, I had a, you know, a pantsuit on or something and not the right coat. And I, I just needed to be outside and clear my head because I was so bad. And she made it obvious that I was that bad. And she was right. She was absolutely right. And I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And it was up to me to just keep grinding, keep getting better, and find some confidence and find a rhythm. And I did. Oh, that's so cool. Um, who do you end up cheering for when it's a Pac-12 team versus Creighton? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, you guys, I'm not supposed to cheer for anybody. Um, <laughs> the, and, and it's interesting. God, that it's rare when the when – it's certainly on the women's side, it's rare – for a Pac-12 team to, to face Creighton. They don't, they don't play each other in the non-conference and they haven't played each other in my recollection in any kind of NCAA tournament in a long, long time, if ever. I don't know. Geez, you know, I'm a Creighton alum, but I love the Pac-12. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that one. I think I'm <laughs> smart to just say, I'll, I'm, I'm taking a hall pass on that one, Cassidy. No way. Uh-uh. Okay. Well, we'll no accept way. it. We'll accept it. Um, what is it like doing pre and post game for the Thorns? Oh, 
it's, it, you know, going to that stadium when they've got 17, 18, 20,000 people, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like going to church. It, it, it's, it's an experience. It's, it's a holy experience for me. It, it, uh, those fans are like nothing. I never thought in my lifetime I would ever see in person that kind of fan base for a women's sport. It, it is something to behold. And I challenge anybody, you go to one game and you're going to want to go again and again and again. So to be involved with that energy, to be involved with a team that is, is made up of wonderful, you know, top tier, best at what they do in the world. And they're the most down to earth, kind, thoughtful people. You would never, they, they do not have an edge and an attitude as to look at me now. Their head coach, uh, is one of the coolest cats. I love Mark Parsons and I, I, and I love that team. And they have made me feel welcome. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I'll share with you. This is, this is, this is how welcome they, they have made me feel. I've been with them since 2013 when they first started. And, uh, when the, when the league took broadcast rights away from them after the two, 2016 season, I stopped calling games for them and just did uh, special projects, pre post, whatever. And they won the championship in 2017. And they gave me, they gave me a championship ring. I mean, I, I, I never saw that coming. I cried. I, I, I cried. I, I, I could cry now. I mean, for them to do that was certainly unnecessary, certainly unexpected. And it was, a ch- it, it, it really blew me away. I, I love this organization right here. You're a champion. Well, you, I mean, but part of creating the atmosphere and the community of Thorns supporters. I mean, I, what you talked about that, um, you know, the stadium just being a really remarkable place. You know, I, I grew up, you know, playing soccer. I played, I played a lot of adult soccer Okay. and you know, it's nothing compared to it at all. But like if we had 10 people cheering on the sidelines, I mean, I played in one game where we had maybe like 200 people cheering on the sidelines and it was Dang. the most like amazing event yeah. to have just that many people cheering yeah. and cheering for women <laughs> playing a sport, which has just unfortunately not been how it's always been throughout life. So yeah, I, I, I love going to Thorns games because I just love the fact that all these people are, have dropped everything and planned their whole afternoon around coming and cheering on and, women. And, and you look at who makes up the fan base. It's really incredible. Mm-hmm. It is the most eclectic, Swinging every which way you've got, you've got young kids. So it's not just romper room, little kids, you know, a, a team of 20 where the coach just cuts them loose. And I mean, these are savvy. Portland soccer fans are so savvy. If you can play, gender matters not. So you've got, you've, I, when I see men in that stadium, Wearing Thorns jerseys with Sinclair on the back of it, Heath on the back of it, Mangus. Did you ever think in your day 
that you would see men wearing women's soccer jerseys with women's names on the back. I mean, that is how progressive and welcoming and smart these people are. So it's not just women fans and it's just not, and not, not just little kids. It's everybody. And, you know, last year or before COVID, the year before, so 2019, right? Yeah. They averaged 20,000 a home game. Now, come on. Come on now. 20,000. And, and, and to walk into that stadium. Oh man. I never, ever will take that for granted ever. Yeah. It's, it's funny. One of my, one of my friends is the ultimate Thorns fan. And I never thought I never took him for that was not what I was expecting to hear from him when the first day I met him, but it was like, I love the thorns. That's and I was great. Like, yes. And That's I was like, great. Timbers. And he was like, I mean, yeah, I follow the season, but like, I love the thorns. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Yeah. That's, and you know, that's what it takes. You know, mm-hmm. got to get everybody on board. And that franchise has everybody on board. I mean, it's hard not to be. How, how, how do you think they pulled off the, uh, the draft yesterday? Well, it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, how the kid from TCU can acclimate and, and, uh, you know, quickly assimilate to a level of play. And, and she's been in, in the uh, U.S. national system. So that's good. So she's used to really, really good competition at, at an age level. That's just a bit above her, the U23s, that kind of thing. But this is a whole different deal. Speed, physicality. It's, it's, you know, now it's your job. And now this isn't just fun and really cool and, wow, I I love soccer, you know. And so it'll be interesting to see how quickly she can adapt and adjust. But, you know, the 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 Thorns and and their draft war room, you know, these these folks know exactly what they're doing. And they've had some very, very good picks um, for many, many years. So I expect this group, you know, if you can get two of them, two out of the four, to be able to give you something this year, that's fantastic. But the Thorns also know that they've got time to develop these players. And uh, I, I, I'm excited to see what can happen with these guys. Most definitely. I think Tara is definitely very excited. I am Tara is the super soccer fan. I'm yeah, definitely... Tara. I mean, what do you think? I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just so excited for the season to be here, but there's still obviously so many questions with COVID. I, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I loved the addition last year yeah. of Rocky, yep. and I'm excited because they got one of her teammates. Correct? Yeah. So Didn't one of her teammates get come come. So this is you know so. I wonder if they're going to have. A full season. You wonder if there, if at some point with the vaccination or whatever, if fans will be allowed in at any capacity. It's just, there are so many question marks right now, but I think the league did a great job last year in, in handling COVID. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have some most memorable interviews in your career? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. They'd be, you know, real old school stuff. That's for sure. Um, you know, anytime you were able to track down Jordan and get a one-on-one with him, and we were able to do that many times, that was, 
that that was always good instead of just the big huddle scrum where you know there's 30 people anytime you got a one-on-one with Jordan Michael Jordan that was special did he have a lot of charisma like was he one of those oh, people that yeah. like you just felt the electricity around him I imagine he did well, he, he did. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, when, when he was drafted by the Bulls out of North Carolina, um, his first year, you know how the NBA in their, in their, um, fall camp and not, and, and before they officially start the season, their exhibition games, they'll barnstorm sometimes and, and go around the state or go around regional areas to try and make sure that they're still plugged into, to fans that are, are in their neck of the woods, if you will. So the Bulls came to Lincoln, Nebraska, and Jordan was a rookie. Hadn't, this was his very first exhibition game. Hadn't played a game. And the locker room had to be open, you know, X amount of half hour, 45 minutes or whatever before the game. And I remember going in the locker room, and there he was sitting all by himself on the bench, skinny little Michael Jordan. Nothing like you would skinny, skinny. He was, he was, I'm not saying he was a nobody, but he was not MJ. He was not Air Jordan. He wasn't the Nike icon. He wasn't the six time NBA champ. He wasn't the greatest of all time. He was skinny little. I wonder how this is all going to play out. Michael Jordan all by himself sitting on some bench in the Devaney center locker room. And I remember doing that interview with him. And obviously I didn't know that what was going to happen, right? I just thought, you know, this guy was really good for North Carolina. I'm going to go talk to him before the game. And I'll never forget Amazing. that. Amazing! Wow. And I, I swear to God, I weighed as much as he did. I mean, he was a skinny little guy <laughs> back then. It was great. But, you know, talking to him anytime was great. Um, talking to Tiger Woods one-on-one was always interesting. Not not the most pleasant, but always interesting. Um, Nancy Lopez was very memorable uh, way back in the day. The Tiny Harding stuff was always memorable after the Skategate deal. Um, and, and, you know, the Blazers back in the day, you know, back when they were chasing titles in the late 80s and early 90s, that group of guys – was talking to them uh, was was an honor and a privilege. When you talk about Clyde and Terry Porter and Buck and Danny Young and Jerome and Duck, um, it, it it was I'll, those interviews with those guys. That was very special, very very special. Oh my goodness! Well, we could talk to you all day and tomorrow and the <laughs> next day. But we will not keep you for forever. But will you come back and tell us more stories maybe another sure. time? Yeah, you guys are you guys are great. And and tip of the cap to you guys for rocking and rolling with your podcast, bringing in the viewers that you do. Um, and, and again, this is the Portland and surrounding area. These are smart sports fans, and they know that you guys get it. And you guys bring a different and fresh element. And tip of the cap to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> well, I mean it. I mean it. So, and, and thank you so much for having me on. It's it's really been fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I will definitely be asking you about the Boston Marathon bike incident the next time you're on. Because I want to hear 
that story. Um, uh, there's a teaser for you. Everybody. That's a good one. That's a good one, ladies. I'm telling you. That's a good one. Okay, we'll do it again. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Stay safe. Be healthy. You too. Bye-bye.